The Las Vegas Raiders reportedly plagued by what the New York Times calls financial disorder, a lengthy article that landed over the weekend that, frankly, frankly, all due respect to our friends at the New York Times, I kept looking for something that wasn't there. I was waiting for bombshell. I've come to expect when the New York Times shows up and starts digging into the nooks and crannies of a controversy, there's going to be something there that makes me say, holy crap. And there, there just wasn't. There just wasn't. I wanted to know. When I, when I saw that headline, I'm thinking, oh, we're going to find out what Dan Vantrell or Ventrelli, depending upon which of the hosts on this program is speaking, was complaining about. What got him fired? What complaints? What allegations of misconduct did he pass along? I really thought they were going to hit the mother load. They, they, they advanced the ball, but not really all that much. The idea that the organization financially is run like it's in the Stone Ages, that they overpay taxes, that they, they if anybody has any problem with anything, they just buy them out and move on. They don't want any issues. They don't want any problems. They're just kind of mismanaging the money as a general proposition. That was the gist of the story in the New York Times. Again, again, it's fine, perfectly fine, but when you have a history of bombshells, when you give us one that's kind of a dud, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, there's another bombshell. Great job. It's like, eh, it's kind of falls short of your standard. The New York Times report on the Raiders, in my estimation, falls short of the standard they've set in other contexts. Chris. Yeah, I, I, I hear you there. You're right. There's not a lot of depth to it. I, I think it's, though, it's, it's become such a big topic, though. These NFL teams, are they handling themselves the right way? The commanders, you know, the Cowboys who got a free pass. Now we're going to go on to the Raiders and deal with that. Right, I, I just think it's there's there's interest in it right now to where yeah it seems a little light, but I mean it's one that you know you classify under like no crap. I mean everybody knows. I mean I don't think this is like a, a shocking you know revelation here. I think everyone has known thought that the Raiders have some financial issues. Part of the reason they went to Vegas and you hear those rumors really over the last few years, whether it has to do with player contracts, having the guaranteed cash and money to pay players up front. So I'm not shocked from from that standpoint. This is one of those, though, I do classify under like, is this the tip of the iceberg a little? Uh, Just again, we're just I I don't want to go apples to apples, but it just seems like, you know, slowly but surely here, things are being pulled away from the Raiders to where you start to go, damn, is this about to go down like Dan Snyder, Washington commander, you know, uh, the highway here? Like, are we about to go that way here with the Raiders? Are we going to find out that there's a lot of issues? I guess that's what I'm a little scared about for, for their sake. But we're still not at the point yet no, where no. a clear bright line has been crossed. Right. We don't know what Dan Ventrell or Ventrelli has passed along by way of complaints that were made to him regarding alleged misconduct of Mark Davis. Obviously, that could become a thing, a real thing. And one of the realities here, and it's always delicate to talk about issues like this, but this has been lingering for years now. I've heard about this multiple times. When Al Davis passed, his widow, Carol, assumed the equity of the team. Unless they have engaged in the kind of high-level and detailed estate planning that this report from the New York Times would suggest that maybe they aren't as buttoned up there. If they're not buttoned up with their basic day-to-day financial realities of running an NFL franchise, they may not have engaged in the estate planning necessary to ensure that when Mark inherits whatever Al and Carol own, he's going to be able to pay the estate taxes. Because as the values of these teams continue to mushroom, You're going to have to come up with a big check for Uncle Sam. We talked about that last week, Chris. 
the yep. estate tax obligation. And that, that could be the thing that forces Mark Davis to sell. And another thing that came up over the weekend, the folks at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch doggedly pursuing documents the NFL would rather we not see from the litigation filed by St. Louis against the league following the relocation of the Rams. Many great revelations in there, which just prove that they were lying their asses off to St. Louis and the rest of us. What a shock. When Stan Kroenke bought the property that became SoFi Stadium. Lies, lies, and more lies. Straight-faced, bald-faced, every kind of faced lie from Stan Kroenke and Roger Goodell and Kevin Demoff. Just amazing stuff, but really not surprising for anybody who pays attention. I'll probably get fired during this segment for saying that, but it's true. I'm telling the truth about all those lies. The other aspect of it that I thought was very compelling, at one point, they were contemplating moving the Raiders to St. Louis with a reorganized ownership. And you just kind of like, you just kind of have the feeling, and I've had this feeling ever since Mark Davis took over the team, that the other owners would just as soon be done with him. But they don't know how to make it happen. They don't know how to make it work. And if there are these issues in the organization, if there are any lines that were crossed, they're not going to give him a break. They're going to welcome the opportunity to shed him and to have someone, someone in a much better position to capitalize on the Las Vegas market, in their estimation, swoop in and take over that team. I I, I just feel like it's a matter of time before they make a move on Mark Davis. I, I I mean, I hear you there. I don't think that's like a crazy thought. I, I think there's I, I could probably share some of that sentiment as well as far as having that feeling, you know, the St. Louis thing. I just feel like, hey, the NFL, I feel like it's, you know, been trying to figure the Raiders out to a degree or help them out or wish they were a little bit better, wish the stadium thing got figured out in Oakland. It just feel like it was going on forever to where I, I could understand the NFL going, man, I wish – you know, things were just run a little bit better there. Something, you know, was a little smoother with the way they do business. Uh, I get that. I just feel like we've, we've kind of been, like, hearing those type of rumors for a long, long time. Um, but, you know, again, I don't know where it goes. And with, with Mark Davis, you're right. The big thing is just going to be, you know, can, can they continue to keep that, that in the family and, and pay that estate tax? That'll be interesting to see as we go, go to the future here. And as to the Rams real quickly, because people may be wondering, well, why would they lie about the intention of Stan Kroenke to convert property he purchased in late 2013 in Englewood into a stadium? Why would he lie about that? Well, and this quote is contained in one of the documents that was uncovered by the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. The Rams didn't want the fan base in St. Louis to crater. They wanted people to show up and support the team even when they knew they were moving the team. 2014, 2015, 2014 especially, when no one had any idea if they weren't paying attention, the Rams are thinking about leaving, especially since they're lying about why Stan Kroenke bought that land. They want people to renew their season tickets. They want people to show up and spend their money. They want people to think the Rams are going to be there. That's why they lied about it. It's shameful. But again, I'm not surprised by it. And one last thing, uh, former Rams fans in St. Louis, if you're looking for a team to root for, I give you the Cincinnati Bengals because Mike Brown was the only person who was consistently saying we should not screw these fan bases over. Not in those words, but that was his message. Why are we not supporting these areas that have supported us all these years? And of course, Mike Brown was ignored. But folks in St. Louis should not ignore Mike Brown and the Bengals. That would be enough for me. If I was a... 
a, a citizen of a team that felt screwed over by an NFL franchise, and I knew Mike Brown was the only one going to bat to try. It, it also helps that his team's pretty good right now. I would be a Bengals fan immediately, Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely would be easy to bring you over there because of that. St. Louis, I would think, like, Mike, when you talk so much about the league going to 34, 36 teams, I, I would think that's going to be one of the cities that, that gets a team. You don't think so? You say no to that? Not, 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 not after, not after not they after took this? the NFL for $800 million. Not, not after, you know, the NFL, like they always do, there's a, there's a level of confidence that borders on delusion, that borders on arrogance, that borders on hubris, that we're going to win. We will crush you in court. First step, arbitration. We know that playbook by now. Now, at least with St. Louis, it wasn't secret rig kangaroo court, but it was still they were trying to make the argument that it should sure. go to arbitration. That was like five years of the lawsuit was trying to force it to arbitration. They went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to try to force it into arbitration. They lost. That's when the wheels started to come off for the NFL. And at the end of the day, this case that they thought was without merit, they ended up paying almost $800 million. So I was told in the aftermath of the settlement, there's no way the NFL is doing business with St. Louis in the future. Wow. Now, right. Passage of time. Yeah. Look, right after right after you commit to paying eight hundred million dollars when you thought you shouldn't pay anything, you may be speaking a little emotionally, but uh, it's going to take some time and it's going to take some changes in leadership. You're going to need new commissioner, new owners for some of the key teams that would be maybe. Yeah, holding I guess a you're grudge. right there. Right. Uh, but but it's going to take some time. But it's going to take some time to expand. Maybe when they put on the last two to go from 38 to 40, maybe that's when St. Louis is back in the mix. Yeah, maybe. I would think it's it's still, to like Mike Brown's point, it's still a big-time city. It's a great sports town. We saw an NFL team win a Super Bowl, you know, being a part of that city. They need their, their own franchise, though, not a team that gets moved there or something like that, something that truly is a startup, identifies with St. Louis, and go from there. I mean, that I think they're worthy of that whenever the NFL does, you know, expand to that point. Before he was shouted down by Jerry Jones, Cardinals owner Michael Bidwell, and I remember his team once moved out of St. Louis back in the late 80s, he pushed back against letting Stan Kroenke move the team because he said, if we do this, they will think we're all about the Benjamins. Michael, we already do. We, we, are, we already think that. I mean, come on. Come on, it's okay. It's capitalism, baby. Go make as much as you can while you can, but don't complain when the players try to do the same thing. All right, real quickly, John Gruden trying to get some Benjamins from Roger Goodell in the NFL. His lawsuit against the league for deliberately leaking the emails that were supposedly secret but were weaponized against him to force him out as head coach of the Raiders. Next Wednesday, May 25, that goes to court on the question of, wait for it, does it get resolved in open court or does it get shipped to the secret rigged kangaroo court of the NFL. But again, they're going to try that in every case they possibly can. It'll be an interesting argument for the NFL to make, Chris. And uh, that's going to be that ruling. It's going to go a long way toward determining whether or not John Gruden wins or loses and a long way toward determining what we get to find out about who ordered the code red. This to me. who executed the code red on John Gruden. Does this have a chance to maybe actually get out of the, 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 you know, kangaroo court like you're talking about? Like, I could see this one maybe getting out because it's not exactly like, you know, firing the head coach. There's, there's more to this story. It's grander and I think hits the league as a whole to where – I do wonder if this maybe gets out of arbitration. I, I feel like there's a chance maybe more than other cases at least.
Two quick points, and we've got to take a break. Number one, the NFL is trying to concoct a very convoluted argument under the Constitution and bylaws that the commissioner has the exclusive authority to order into arbitration any evidence of serious misconduct. It's a different phrase than that, but that's what that's what they're trying to use to pull the case into arbitration. I think that's aggressive, and it may be unsuccessful. Number two, the NFL is relying upon painting John Gruden as a bad guy right. to make the judge. Because at the end of the day, we see this all the time. The judge decides in his or her heart what the right outcome is and then works backward. Works backward to justify it. There's enough play in the joints of the law to get you what you want. And they're trying to paint him as a bad guy. So the judge says, screw this guy, send him to arbitration. Gruden's trying to paint himself as the victim, saying, hey, regardless of what emails I sent in 2011 when I wasn't working for the Raiders, these things were supposed to be secret. Somebody decided they were going to take me down with these and hide behind the shield. And we need to be able to get to the bottom of who did it. So right. I, I, know, I know what my ruling would be. The NFL should be very glad that I'm not the judge in that case or any of the other cases because I'd want it all to be out in the open. The only way you disinfect is with sunlight. And uh, too many things that happen in the league get hidden in the secret rig kangaroo court. I thought it was Clorox. I thought Clorox did the disinfecting. That's what I was raised with. <laughs> Clorox, sunlight, I don't know. Just inject both into your veins and see how it goes. Let's go ahead and take a break. We're going to start the Chris Sims Top 40 Quarterback Countdown for 2022. BFT Live continues right after this. That was then. This is now. We're not going to unveil them all right now, but that was last year. Mahomes, number one. Cam Newton, number 20. That's just page one. That's the first half of the top 40. A lot of familiar names on there. A lot of names that will be rising. Some will be falling. And there are the second 20 on the Chris Sims top 40 quarterback countdown from last year. Let's get into it. And let's begin with number 40. I see he's down seven. He is. From last year. He's in contention to be the starter in Seattle, even though Geno Smith currently is in the lead, according to Pete Carroll, who has said that repeatedly. There he is, the guy who looks like grown-up Leave it to Beaver, Drew Locke, entering his fourth NFL season, first with the Seahawks. You've dropped him down, Chris. We didn't know whether or not he was going to be the starter for the Broncos last year when right. he had him at 33. Right. I can't remember where he had Teddy Bridgewater. I didn't notice his name on the list. Bridgewater ended up being the starter. But now Locke at 40 with a chance, with a chance to be one of the 32 NFL starters. Right. You know, Drew Locke, there, there's things to like, certainly. I mean, we both see that, right? We've discussed it a lot. There's talent to go, wait, he should be way farther up than 40. I mean, Drew Locke, if he can unlock all his potential, no pun intended, and learn to me to play the game at a cleaner, higher level that way, to me that's the thing that's holding back Drew Locke. You know, the talent is there of being a big-time starting NFL quarterback. But the play, you know, the polish, the, the ability to, let's say, Mike, for lack of a better way to say it, to put him in the trust tree. Can I trust you in certain moments to not turn the ball over, do something a little crazy, you know, execute the offense the right way, not try to fit the ball into that tight window in the double coverage 30 yards down the field. There's a guy open five yards down the middle here. Let's just take that completion. Those are the issues of Drew Locke. That's why he lands at 40. He's one of those guys that can make a tremendous jump if he is the starter in Seattle and does a lot. But, like, I can't put him any higher than that right now just because of some of the issues that we're talking about here. You know, again, big arm, 
good size, pretty good athlete, but nowhere near to putting it together yet to where I sit here and just go, oh, yes, he's an NFL starter for me, and he should be, you know, lock, stock, two smoking barrels. No, he's still got some proven and some work to do here, in my, in my opinion. Hey, it wasn't that long ago that you and I both believed in him coming out of Missouri. Right. We were surprised he fell all the way down to 42. He was the latest effort by John Elway to erase a track record of drafting some not very good quarterbacks, signing some not very good quarterbacks other than the one that fell into his lap a decade ago in Peyton Manning. And I couldn't help but laugh last week when John Elway was extolling the praises and virtues of Russell Wilson, the guy on whom Elway passed in 2012 for Brock Osweiler. So Locke, we thought, was going to turn it around. He didn't. No. And now he gets a chance in Seattle. He's got to stay healthy, and he's just got to be – He's got to be consistent. Right. And yeah. And he's got to just stay within himself, stay within the offense. And and who knows? Who knows? I, I do think, though, we've talked about this before. I think Pete Carroll is hell bent on proving that that offense can be roughly the same without Russell Wilson as it was with him. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck right. with that. Right. But I feel like Pete Carroll wants to prove that. I, I do, too. I feel like Pete wants to prove that it doesn't have to be quarterback-centric for the team to be really good. And we've discussed that a lot. That's why they got the two Super Bowls in a row. They played that style of football. Yeah, they look at Locke to be that guy that, that can have the potential to, you know, lead the charge, lead the ship in the in the right direction. But it's it's a big question mark. Yeah, it's a new offense. You know, they're a team that we know they want to they want the quarterback to be a little conservative and take care of the ball. Let's not turn it over. I'm Pete Carroll, I'm a defensive head coach, and Drew Locke just came from a place like that where guess what? The defensive coach didn't really trust him. He went with a guy that's less talented because he goes, at least I could trust this guy and know what I'm getting. You know, with Drew Locke, I think that's the big problem. It's the last thing we got to see. You know, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw him. Oh, whoa, he's throwing lasers all over the field, three touchdowns in preseason game number one, but also wouldn't be shocked if preseason game number two, if we came back and went, damn, he barely threw for 50% and threw two dumb interceptions there. That's the part we don't know what we're getting with Drew Locke. I like the talent, but you said it right. Inconsistency, it's got to get better there in that department if he wants to be a starting quarterback. And remember, we talked about this last Monday. Geno Smith thrust into service after Russell Wilson was injured on that Thursday night against the Rams. Played well. They were chanting his name. Yes. But for the receiver that falls down, goes boom. Right. Maybe the Seahawks end up winning that game. And then three-point loss in Pittsburgh. Three-point loss on Monday night to the Saints. Right. Blew out the Jaguars. Jaguars exactly. All of a sudden, Russell Geno Wilson's will be in front out. of Drew Locke. Just, you know, yeah, yeah that he's going to be. Drino yeah. gets a little bit of a bad rap because of that. And to your point, Gino came in in some tough spots and performed at a pretty high well, a pretty high level. Locke came in twice for Bridgewater last year, you know, off the bench, and was not trustworthy. Just there's no other way to say it. So yes, he's got to improve in that area. And that's your chance. That's the test. That's right. the test. Mm-hmm. Do you really embrace your job as a backup? Can you bring the intensity, your preparation? And, and you know, Geno Smith has been there and done that when he was a backup one time. Remember he wasn't ready to go? Wasn't Geno Smith not ready to go one time? No, well, Geno got, got punched in the mouth, right, and, you know, with the Jets. Right. That's led to that. But on one of his stops, I think there was an issue where he got a chance to play and he just wasn't ready to go. I, maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Don't want to defame Geno. But the key is you got to be ready to go yeah. when your number's called. And this was Drew Locke's opportunity. That competition was so close between Locke and Bridgewater. That was his chance. And 
didn't work. Wasn't ready. Right. Wasn't ready. Or if he was ready, he didn't get it done. No, exactly. And now he's going to be competing right. with Geno Smith. So if he loses that competition, is he going to be ready to seize his opportunity if and when it comes? We'll see. Will Kenny Pickett seize the day in Pittsburgh? He was their first-round pick, the only first-round pick this year at the quarterback position. He comes in at number 39. Pay no attention to the hand size. The Steelers are fine. <laughs> With, those gloves do not make his hands look any bigger. No, they're like they tight. They don't. Like they're tight gloves that make his fingers shrink. Yep. But regardless, the Steelers are fine with it. They were thrilled to have him. Kevin Colbert, the GM of the team, outgoing GM, told me right after the draft that they couldn't believe he was there at 20. They thought about trading up. They didn't like the, the cost of moving up. They stayed put, and they got him. Right. I think he'll be the week one starter. I, I, I think that if he's not – that that's that's an indictment of the Steelers for picking him where they did. They need a guy they can plug in right away. I know Mitchell Trubisky may be a little underrated, but I still think Trubisky should be the guy week one. Why did you put him just on yeah. the right side of your top 40 list? Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, that, that to me is going to be an interesting discussion, too, that Mitchell Trubisky-Kenny Pickett thing. Because Trubisky is talented. He's going to be on this list, too. So he's ahead of Kenny Pickett. I obviously think he's better as of right now than Kenny Pickett, certainly. But we, we, we both know it's the number 20 pick. Do you just get him out there, get him started, and start the new era? You know, that could play into it, too. So uh, that'll be interesting to gauge as this goes forward. But Kenny Pickett makes the list because of everything we talked about You know, in the draft process. He's the most pro-ready right now. Do you know? Did I love his top end talent as much as Matt Corral or Malik Willis? No, and that's why I made them as far as you know my draft rankings in front of them because that's about where they're going to be two, three years, four years down the road. That's how we're ranking it. As as far as right now, yes, Kenny Pickett's advanced, more advanced than any of these rookies that got drafted, and he's ready to go. This is it's Mac Jones ish as far as what we're talking about with Kenny Pickett as far as being ready to play quarterback in the NFL. And to me, again, maybe not the, the high-end talent that even Drew Locke has at quarterback number 40, but I had all those questions about Drew Locke coming out in college too. Man, it's wild. Man, I don't know if you can trust him. And it's continued. Pickett, the one thing I, can, I feel good about is that he will come into the NFL and know how to run an offense and be trustworthy. The part of him where I want to go is just go, man, I hope he tries to squeeze that ball into that tight window down there from time to time because he can do it. Don't be too conservative. But as far as the trust tree is concerned, I know it's young, but I've seen enough on this guy from film the last two years to go, man, he really understands how to go through reads. He's very accurate in intermediate throws, and he's awesome in the pocket. I mean, he is awesome in the pocket, which I is a part of my rankings, and I just I trust him more than Drew Locke. I do, and I, I trust him to run an NFL offense more at the intended way it's supposed to be run at this point, and I know it's young uh, on Kenny Pickett. It's an interesting set of dynamics for the Steelers, too. You've got a rookie first-rounder. Yeah. You've got a veteran who has never played for you before, Mitchell Trubisky. You've got Mason Rudolph still lurking on the roster right. somewhere. He's the only guy that's got any history with the team. And I think back to the last two franchise quarterbacks the Steelers had. Terry Bradshaw was caught in a three-way competition for years with Terry Hanratty and Joe Gillum. Yeah. And under today's standards, as I've said before, Terry Bradshaw would have been back in Shreveport pumping gas well before the Immaculate Reception, well before the Super Bowl victory. It just wasn't working for him, but they didn't give up on him. With Roethlisberger, he got thrust into service as a rookie. Tommy Maddox was the starter. 
And Alan Fanick, a Hall of Famer, when Maddox got injured and Roethlisberger took over, they asked Fanick if he was excited to play with the rookie. He said, exciting? No, it's not exciting. Do you want to go to work with some little young kid who's just out of college? That was Ben Roethlisberger's welcome in 2004. So I don't know how the veterans are going to feel about Pickett versus Trubisky. Um, but, you know, the, the two prior times the Steelers used that first-round pick on a guy that got, you know, the, the mantle. They, they used a first-round pick on Mark Malone, but that's kind of an asterisk because Terry Bradshaw was still going strong. But, you know, Chris, they have yet to fully embrace a guy right out of the gate. I know, I know. It'll be interesting to see if they do. It will be. I mean, he certainly, I think, can be that guy to where they can go, wait, we're going to run the ball and you be smart quarterback and we'll play defense, and I could see them go in that direction. I can. You know, but at the same time, Trubisky's got talent. And we know that, and we saw it a little last year, and that's why he was a hot commodity. He got on a team in Buffalo where we went, oh, wait, they do know how to run an offense there, and they actually have some creativity, and damn, look at this guy. He's picking people apart. So uh, we saw that Trubisky's, there's something to him, and he's better than what we all perceive him to be in Chicago. And that's where it'll be interesting here, because this is where the, the politics of the sport can collide a little bit. One last point. There's been this narrative that because of Trubisky's contract with playing time incentives or whatever, the Steelers are going to skew toward Pickett. The Steelers are going to go with the guy that gives them the best exactly. chance. Exactly. The Steelers want to win football games. They're not going to worry about owing Mitchell Trubisky more money. I hate that narrative. They are not going to be penny-wise and pound-foolish. If Trubisky is the better option, he's going to play. But, you know, they, they used that first-round pick on Pickett, and they really like him, and uh, we'll see how it manifests itself when it's time for the reps to be divided in camp. Teddy Bridgewater on the list at number 38, even though he is clearly Can we a get a new picture option. of me on that graphic, please? No. I mean, holy crap. I mean, that was seven years ago. We're still going with it. I mean, good. So yes. last year, Teddy Bridgewater competed and ultimately became the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos. And he was, is it fair to say good, not great? Was he good? Where did, where, I don't know where you had him going into 2021, but but where do you see him now? I know you see him at 38, but why do you see him where he is? I, because I just we know what Teddy Bridgewater is, and you know my big complaint with Teddy Bridgewater is yes, he's going to be he's a great backup. That's what he's for. That is exactly where he is. He's going to come in. He's going to manage. He's going to take care of the fo- the football. That's what you know. For the most part, you can depend and know what you're going to get. My problem with Teddy Bridgewater, as you've always heard me say, is he's more into I'm not going to lose the game instead of just going out and try to win the game. Way too much into the politics of the sport and always protecting the image of Teddy Bridgewater. So that's where I can't put him much higher than that because I, I, he, he's, his decision-making is way too conservative. You know. He plays the politics of the sports there, uh, the sport there at the position. You know, even again last year, you can look at it and go back and look. I mean, some of his great statistics games, they always they come when the game's out of hand, and now he's like, okay, I guess I gotta push the envelope a little bit. And they're playing prevent defense, but when the game is competitive, he plays not to lose instead of playing to win, and that's too hard in the NFL. And to me, that's a backup quarterback all the way. So there's there's things I like about him as far as you know I you know as far as having him in your quarterback room, but to be my starter, absolutely not. I would not want Teddy Bridgewater to be my starter. He's a backup quarterback, a really good one at that. Remember when he signed with the Dolphins? He tried to create that that 
backhanded narrative. Yeah. Maybe they right. told him he has a chance to win the starting job. And Mike McDaniel, the coach of the Dolphins, had to say, everybody knows their role. And, and you know, two is the starter and yada, yada. And you were upset because you thought maybe he was trying to stir up something yeah. in, a, in a roundabout way. Right. I, did, I, did, I didn't like that. Oh, come on. We all know what the deal is there in Miami. You know, again, why make that public? I don't understand that. You know, that 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 did nothing for him. It made him look bad and selfish, and it did nothing to help the Miami Dolphins football team. And it doesn't sound like it was truly what was told to him. He's just kind of hoping that's it, which I understand that. But, you know, again, trustworthy. It's a good arm. It's not a great arm. It's a solid athlete, not a great athlete. He doesn't play with any size within the pocket. And then, like I've always said, the conservative, like, wait, there's a guy open down the middle, 25 yards down the middle. Throw it. Oh, check it down. And to me, that's that's why he's a backup, and he should stay up and back up, Bill, because of that. When we started the countdown 15 minutes ago with number 40, I was very curious as to where Tua would be. I assume that he has made the cut. We're not going to give anything away. Here. No, but, but he's but on. He's, he's coming. I would yeah. think that two and on, I think two and on will have to be very happy. The Teddy's at 38. Yes. And we'll move forward with the... Uh, let's not give anything away. Yeah. We'll move forward with the assumption... He will be there. That so Tua we is there. Do oh, that. come on. Come on. I want to do at least, at you least... You want me just to torture them a little bit? <laughs> maybe he's maybe he's 41. Maybe he's 41. No, he's going to be higher than 38, two and on. You can be mad about us at many things, but not that. He will be higher than Teddy Bridgewater on the Chris Sims Top 40 Quarterback Countdown. Let's go ahead and take a break. Does Malik Willis, the rookie third-round quarterback of the Tennessee Titans, have a problem with Ryan Tannehill's comments that he's not there to mentor Willis? We'll hear from Willis next here on PFT Live. I was made Malik about, about Ryan's comment about not mentoring earlier. What comment? What's that? What comment? Ryan Tannehill, okay. <laughs> Did you take anything from that or, you know, anything of significance or, or what are your thoughts? Oh, man, we chopped it up. I mean, he, it was never anything negative. Ryan's a good dude, and he had us, like I say, he had us over the house. Everything's cool, man. Malik Willis saying all the right things. And look, what Ryan Tannehill said, and it yes. wasn't like he led with it. It was kind of the tail end of an answer. And, and he didn't get up there and, you know, uh, I'm not here to, you know. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not his job. It's not his job. And, and look, we, we talked about this at the time. This isn't high school. This isn't college where there's a natural transition. Ryan Tannehill's not ready to walk off into the sunset. Why is he going to help the guy who would then try to take his job? He wants to keep playing. So uh, he's not there to get Malik Willis ready to take over. He's there to be the best quarterback he can be for the Tennessee Titans. And, and Malik Willis, I think, gets it. And one of these days, he'll be in that situation, too. If, right. if, he's, if he's lucky, if he's fortunate, and if he develops the right way, he'll be a starter 10 years from now, and his team will draft a quarterback. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's the same idea. If I'm not done, and I don't intend to be done anytime soon, why am I helping the next guy potentially supplant me? Yeah, people made way too big of an issue about that comment. I, I, I just, you know why though? You know, yeah, you know why? why? Because Kurt Warner, Kurt Warner chimed in. Well, that, that's yeah, what made he, it a big that's deal. That's ridiculous too. It, and, it is. And Kurt Warner got it wrong because he 
Why do? Why, what's the reluctance with helping the next guy? First, you have to agree that it's the next guy. Ryan Tannehill is not ready to stipulate that Malik Willis is the next guy. Well, yeah. Because he's under contract for four years, and right. Tannehill maybe intends to be in Tennessee longer than right. that. Like, uh, and two, what, 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 like, what is mentoring? Like, I mean, does, like, did, like, does everybody like, what, want Ryan Tannehill to be like, hey, Malik, hey, meet me in the meeting room after today, and I'm going to mentor you. Like, is that what people want? I mean, that, like, first off, that's not his job. That's ridiculous. All right? And Ryan Tannehill's a good dude. Exactly right. Like, Malik Willis has got a question. Ryan Tannehill's going to explain it and give an answer. He's not going to screw him over, right? So isn't that mentoring, right? And I think the number one thing with mentoring is what? Is what? Setting a good example to show the guy, hey, this is how you're a starting quarterback in the NFL. Hashtag mentoring. Does, does, it, does everybody want him to hold his hand while he does it? Is that what mentoring is? Also hold my hand while you set the example? To me, it's like a bunch of people just piling on Ryan Tannehill right now. That, that's where it's gotten ridiculous. It's gone from the three interceptions in the game to now let's, let's just pile on the freaking guy for anything he does. Like, what? what? He's, he's going to do everything that everybody else does. He doesn't need to hold the guy's hand. He's going to mentor him within the natural just being a good guy and being a professional. And you have to be true to who you are, too. Some people are wired to, in whatever workplace they're in, to be that person who's constantly and under the guise of mentoring saying, here's what you need to do better, here's what you should do better, here's what you should do better. And some people react to that well and some don't. Some just want to have a good example set. Some pride themselves on figuring it out on their own within the confines of the work that they do. Right. So I I agree with you. Too much was made of it. We defended him at the time. uh, Brad Johnson mentored really isn't his job. No, it's not. Brad Johnson mentored me. Did he was he mentoring me? No. Was I like his apprentice? No. But I was like, oh, wait, Brad's going in the meeting room now? Let me go in the meeting room. Oh, Brad's going to do this now? Let me follow his big butt in there and do that too. Oh, wait, now Brad's going to work out now. Okay, so Brad works out now. Damn, I guess Brad was mentoring me, even though he wasn't. I mean, but he was. He was my mentor. I still tell everybody that. He was good to me. I got a question, whatever. He was a professional. He set a great example. What a great mentor. Right. I didn't give him a T-shirt that said Chris Sims mentor. Did you change your entire uniform at halftime because Brad did? <laughs> well, he was a all-time great sweater. I mean, he was <laughs> him getting the he had to put his hands under swamp ass. It was double swamp ass with those two, John Wade and Brad Johnson. There was more swampy ass to go around to fill the NFL up between those two. <laughs> I just I just had a flashback to the first game of the season last year when the issue of swamp ass came up and you really <laughs> oh, I wanted, wanted to, to say, say it. it. You yeah. gave that little look. I did. Swamp ass. <laughs> but I didn't All want right, that to be my last pregame show. <laughs> uh, we'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. One thing that there is plenty of on Twitter, gourmet chefs. Because no matter what you cook, how you cook it, how it looks, how it doesn't look, good, bad, or otherwise, if you make the mistake or if you deliberately, as some may do, put a photo of food on Twitter, you get roasted even more than the food. That's my 18-ounce Wagyu strip from Saturday night that I cooked exactly. That's exactly how I wanted it to be cooked. Exactly. And it was awesome. I ate half of it. It was too big. The other half is waiting for me to... I don't know, reheat in the microwave. Maybe I'll maybe I'll 
Don't reheat out the a microwave. Tweet. Man, I'm kidding. Thank you. I'll, I'll put out a tweet to get you know the, the best expert guidance from all of the chefs on Twitter on how to properly go about reheating that steak. But I, I you know, you want to have some fun, and uh, I, I like I to like troll it. a little bit. And uh, um, regardless, they they just go, oh, I didn't realize Ryan Jensen chimed in. Oh, I didn't, I, I didn't pay any attention to the responses because I, I just like, here we go. Wind it up and let it go, and off it went. And a lot of blue checks. I didn't realize there's a lot of blue checks out there that are also gourmet chefs. I had no idea. Yes, yeah, they are. I mean, you didn't know. Everybody on Twitter is an expert. What are you, crazy? But here's Phil Hughes, right? He's just, that's not my kind of steak. I know that. I wouldn't touch that thing right there, all right? I couldn't do it. It's That's too rare for me. There's too much red. Not cool. Look at, there's, look at, let's see. Let's What's, what's Mitchell Schwartz saying? But I had no idea. I had no idea that all these people that I that, that actually play football just. I mean, yeah, you guys were bored on See? Saturday. All right, night. well, he's right. He's right. Is? However, you like it. That's too much red for me. And listen, the other thing is, I'm not down with wagyu. I'm just not down with it. You know, I just I want my cows to walk around the field and eat grass like a normal cow. I don't. He doesn't like like. Oh, we massage him and he never stands up and we play music for him. It just sounds fat and gross. I don't know. I don't want a wagyu steak, let alone one that's not cooked like we're not cooked. So I don't mess with that. <laughs> it it uh, it it actually it actually cooked a little bit a little more, more you know, than once that. you take it off the grill. Right. It, it it wasn't it wasn't quite that bad. All right, all right. These are one of my favorite ice cream snacks right there though. That's kind of did look like that to a degree on the inside. But that was <laughs> what I was shooting for. I wanted it I wanted it burned on the outside and I I uh that's funny. What? I, at least, what is that? I don't know what that's Kirk Cousins. That's not me. I don't know what that is on Kirk Cousins grill, but you can't you can't and again, I'm not going to shame Oreos anybody. Grill. I'm not going to shame anybody for what they cook, for what they eat, as long as they like it. We go back to the mac and cheese, and it's funny. The mac and cheese that I made the night before Thanksgiving, people lost their over that. And because they thought the top was burned, I got a picture on my phone. I went to visit my sister when our nephew was born in April. If I put that picture, I won't do it to her. If you think that's burned... You should see what my sister made. And that's exactly the way my mom made it. That's what people lose sight of. We all like different things. We all have different tastes. Yeah. We all have different ways the that we like the texture and the, in, and the, the look. The pilgrims and the Native Americans loved mac and cheese. So they liked it a little burn on top. It's very, but, very natural to Thanksgiving. <laughs> but 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 uh, but regardless, regardless, uh, let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Monday. I got more I could say, but but just enjoy your food. Yeah. And tweet at your own peril, especially if it's going to be a picture of anything that you cook. And I say now I'll never do it again. But there will be one of these nights where I've had a beer or two and I and it's like, you know what? Let's mess with Twitter a little bit and I'll do it again. I don't know what I'll figure out what I do it for. And I'll make sure it's something that allows all the blue check gourmet chefs out there to tell me what I'm doing wrong and how I need to do it better. They can all mentor me in how to properly be a gourmet chef. Maybe Ryan Tannehill can get involved. Maybe he can mentor me into how to properly cook my food. We'll take a break and have more PFT Live right after this. All right, from steaks to ducks. This, now, now, this is not the video that was posted last week by the Dolphins' Twitter account that created a tizzy because, number one, the throw was quacking, and number two, Tyreek Hill had to stop and wait for it. Tyreek Hill, in the aftermath of the uproar, tweeted this compilation of throws that were less quacky and more accurate and more on the money and uh, said, can't y'all just chill? We're talking about practice. 
Well, when I saw that, and I wrote about this, Tyreek, you got to take it up with your social media people. They're the ones that chose to put that video online. They're the ones that chose, just like I did with the photo of my steak, which I'm told is Pittsburgh rare, that that's, that's even though I had no intention to make it that way, Pittsburgh rare. There is the Pittsburgh rare flying pheasant that uh, Tyreek Hill had to wait for like it was a punt return. So, look, take it up with your social media people. They lit this fuse, Chris. We just reacted to what we saw. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, we reacted. I think people probably made a little bit bigger of a deal than it needed to be. You know, I, I, like, there's, there's two ways to look at it. Like, I love that Tyreek Hill says it and, like, sticks up for his quarterback. But I also, like, I don't know, Mike, am I crazy to think, like, don't, don't even give it attention. Don't even. Exactly. Right? Like, to me, that would be more the play. Like, don't, don't listen to it. Now we know you're hearing it, and it's a thing. So I, I just think that adds fuel to the fire instead of just, like, just keep working and then show us what you got in September, and that will shut everybody up. You know, then send out the tweet after he throws four touchdown passes to you. Be like, hey, remember you guys were making fun of this? Eat this crap. Here's four touchdowns today. Welcome to the 2022 season. Yeah, that, that, that to me is like they justified it in, in reacting. They love to say they don't listen to the outside noise. What do they do? They listen to the outside noise. And I, I don't know Tyreek Hill well enough to know whether there's any element of passive aggressive in here where, you know, number one, you don't legitimize the criticism but number two are is this a little of terrell owens after tony romo had the bye week vacation and they lost in the playoffs and he's crying that's my quarterback don't criticize him about going on vacation during the bye week that's my teammate that's my quarterback i wonder if there was a little of that with tyreek no i i think there is it's, hey this is he's getting paid a lot of money it's a new team he's trying to assert himself as a leader and he's trying to stick up for a guy that is very polarizing with the NFL media and, and fan bases. So uh, I understand them wanting to stick stick up for him for sure. I do that. Well, we'll get to see him a couple of times in primetime this year and maybe more if they play their way into the flex games on the back end. That's it for today's PFT Live. See you tomorrow morning. Have a great Monday. See ya.